Good morning. Glad everyone is here. Well, why don't we just pray? Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Oh, thank you. Our hearts are filled. Just singing praises to you, singing praises to your son. I just love and be thou my vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, thy treasure thou art. We just praise you. Oh, you are rich to us. Even if you give and take away, we'll still praise you. You own it all. We know that you are working for our good. It is a promise. We thank you for this. Help us even in your word as we study your word. We pray that you would give us clarity, help us to hear, help us to study, help us to hear your word. Spirit, would you take the things of Christ and glorify them in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it too cold? Yeah? Too cold? All right, a little bit too cold. Maybe just turn it back a little. I know, man. We're always going to fight about the temperature. It's always going to be guys against girls. It's just, you know, we're just going to have to learn how to live in peace. And that's our, that's our sermon today. Isn't that great? What a great transition. Before we start out, I've got a giveaway. All right. There are three free books. Now, there is a catch. Okay, here's a catch. If you accept the book, you must read it cover to cover. And there is, uh, there are questions here. Just what's the author's main point? Do you agree or disagree? If so, where do you disagree? Very simple, okay? You have to email me, okay, when you're done, all right? So who would like a book? Because if you're in our home fellowship, you're going to buy one anyways. So who would want one? Raise your hand. Anyone? No one wants one. All right. So Ty wants one. All right. Tim wants one. Jesse wants one. All right. And Ty. All right. This is a gift from Redeemer Bible Church. There you go. All right. So for those of you who want electronic versions, it's, you can go get it on Kindle and everything like that. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians. Uh, I just thought it was a good, uh, I didn't plan it as I was just reading the text. It was exactly what the book is talking about. Um, I'm really impressed with the book because it talks about how as the church works together in community, it is a compelling witness for Christ itself. When there is love, when there's actual love, true love, authentic love, when people are not being hypocritical, when people fight to keep together. And that's really what the theme of this sermon is uh, this morning. Um, I remember when I was in um, Southeast Asia, as we were at a seminary there, one of the students did not like a decision that the professors made. I was one of the professors there. And when I was, as we were teaching, in fact, he didn't like the decision so much, he started to basically slander us with the other students. And he started to try and gather a mutiny. Now, this is supposed to be a Christian seminary. Do you guys understand? You understand what a shame this is? Okay. And it brought shame to the name of Christ. He says, and as we were having graduation for the other 
uh, seminary students, he says, well, we're going to disrupt the ceremony, right? I don't think that's why Christ died on the cross. I don't think that's why he brought us together for the church. I don't think that's what, why God has given us his spirit, why he has drawn us together. I don't think that, that at all. In fact, it brings shame to Christ. It brings uh, a bad witness and a bad testimony. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul is now changing over and he says, therefore, and we've said this many times, if you see a therefore, you have to see what it's what? What it's there for, okay? If you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for, okay? What Paul is saying here. Uh, Let's read the text in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God gave this passage to you this morning. I believe he's speaking through the text. It is an authoritative word from God as we sit here. God is giving you this passage this morning so that you would fight for solidarity. Not fight each other but you would fight for solidarity, that we would stay together, that we would fight ourselves, our sin, the world, the devil, so that we would stay together and bring glory to Christ. Now he says here, on the first point here in verses 1 to 3, there's just two main points, okay? Verses 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6. 1 to 3 is answer the call. Answer the call. Answer the call to fight for solidarity. Every Christian who has been called by Christ, who has been saved by Christ, has this call upon you. Paul says, therefore. We know what the therefore is. Chapter 1 says what? Chapter 1 talks about the the blessed salvation that he has blessed you with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. The first portion is that God the Father has chosen you from before eternity. If, in fact, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, his love knows no bounds towards you. He already knows what you've done, what you will do, and the the faithlessness you will exhibit, and he still has chosen you nonetheless. That is a love that cannot be stopped. Secondly, the Son purchased you. The Son purchased you. He is bled on the cross for you. He paid the highest price such that now your sinful life would be put on Him and His righteousness would cover you. Thirdly, the Spirit's work. Notice what the Spirit does. He regenerated you. He gave you, He has uh, given you rebirth. You are now a new life, you have new desires you hated now you love what you love loved before now you hate you love righteousness now you want to be with his people you want to read his word you want to sing praises yes you you want to sing wasn't that sweet morning 
You wanted to sing if you know Christ. You can't help it. Even if you can't sing. Amen? Even if your voice is lousy. There's a beautiful song in your heart towards Christ. Amen? So that's what therefore is. Chapter 2, he keeps expounding it. You remember, he says, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no feeling towards God, no desire towards God, no hunger after him. What happened? God caused you to be alive. Chapter 3 is he's brought Gentiles and Jews together, people from different backgrounds, all in this nice pot called the church. And after all of that's been said and done, what God has done for you in salvation, how he has brought you up from death to life, how he has brought us together, now he says it is time for you to get busy. One preacher said it this way, God has not saved you so that others can do the work of the ministry and exalt God. Do you understand? And you just sit there and enjoy it. He has not saved you for that. He has saved you to get in the game, to get in the match. He has saved you to be part of this grand kingdom. And the first portion is how you act in the church. Amazing. How are you going to behave? How are you going to live? In the church, Paul says, how do you answer this call? Well, Paul gives this call. First, he talks about himself. He says, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul, right now, as he is writing this letter, he is a prisoner himself in Rome. Answering the call to follow Christ, even in the example of Paul, can, in be, can indeed be difficult. Obeying Christ will sometimes require you to pay a high cost. And what he's saying is, I'm, just as I am paying this cost as a prisoner, I'm actually a prisoner of Christ. He reminded them of what he's going through. Paul says, this is how you would walk in a manner worthy. He says, he leads by example. He says, I'm going to take the shots. He's leading by example. Even though Paul's situation looks grim, he reminded them that it has not changed his love or faith in Christ whatsoever. He is a prisoner of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, here's, my, here's my encouragement to you, or maybe it's a rebuke to you this morning. If you claim the name of Christ, are you still in it? Are you still, would you say, his prisoner? Does he dictate your life? Is he the center of your life? Or do you just kind of add him with all the things you already have planned? Paul says, I am a prisoner of him. And as a prisoner of him, I'm going to talk to you what God requires of you. See, Christians Christians nowadays don't like to talk about that. What do you mean God requires of me? I thought salvation is free. It absolutely is free. I thought I don't have to earn salvation. That is absolutely true. You don't earn salvation whatsoever. You do not work for your salvation. But once you are saved, can you say with Paul, I am a prisoner of Christ? Are you his? Are you? Are you his? Because these calls aren't going to mean anything. And notice he says, then he gets to the, uh, he gets to the call and he says this, okay? This is what Paul says. I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling with which you have been called. We have to slow down here. Okay? Got to slow down. Paul now says, because I was saved, because I am now a prisoner of Christ ever since I saw him on that road, right? because my life has been changed, I am given to him. And the most important thing for you to hear is this entreaty that you would walk in a manner worthy of him. And so Paul says this, and he is not ashamed. He uses this word. He says, I urge you. I urge you. Now that word, if you look it up, it means to beseech. It means to exhort. It usually involves intense feeling and strong desire. And so Paul, in Acts chapter 24, it's actually translated, I beg. I beg. And so Paul is not too full of himself to say, I beg you, walk this way. I beg you, live in a manner according to Christ. I beg you, He's not shy of begging. If you've discipled others or have shepherded others or have shepherded your children, there can be no real Christ-centered leadership without this kind of heart. I beg you. I beg you. I remember that student. Do you remember I was talking about that student? I talked to him several times. I said, you are destroying the unity of the fellowship. And I pulled him aside and I said, I beg you, I beg you, please don't do this. Because what was happening is he was insisting on his own rights, insisting on his own privileges, insisting on whether or not he was offended. Do you understand? Putting that as forefront and not the unity of Here's, here's the application, okay? We love each other, amen? God has just supernaturally brought us together. I, I can't even explain it, right? Brought us from different backgrounds. Boom, we're here, okay? This is how it works. We expect it to work that way because that's how God does his miracles, right? But even as we are here, we come from different backgrounds, right? We come from different economic statuses. We come from different racial backgrounds. There will be a time when we offend each other. Right? There will be a time when we slight each other. Why? Because we're sinners and we're on this side of Genesis chapter 3. Right? Will you heed this call? This is not a call from me. Do you understand? That says, oh, come on, let's, why don't we, kind of like, uh, kind of like, uh, what was his name, Rodney in the L.A. riots. Why can't we all just get along? It's not a call from him. It's not a call from me. It's not a call from Jeremy or Andre. This is a call from God himself saying, you have the imperative to keep this at the forefront. You're going to stay together. 
and we're going to work through our problems. And if we have sinned against each other, we're going to ask for forgiveness and we're going to repent. We're going to do this humbly and gently. Brothers and sisters, that's the only way we're going to make it. I probably have already offended you. Right? But I've have, I have good brothers who love me and says, Angelo, the way you said that was wrong. My wife does that constantly. The way you said that, the way you explained it, tone in your voice was wrong. You're not seeking to edify. You're seeking to separate or to prove your point. And what has happened, if I respond in pride, I fight it. I do the blame shifting game. No, but you... You're supposed to maintain the unity of brothers. Can I just say this? Okay, Fathers, can I say fathers? Fathers, you've got to lead in this. Yes, you do. You have to lead. You've got to lead in asking for forgiveness. You've got to lead in confessing your sin and not being defensive. You've got to lead in this. Your family won't. They, won't, they will not own their sin unless dad does. That's it. Okay, we got to keep going. Let's go. Now, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul uses, by the Holy Spirit, he uses this term, walk. He doesn't say God has called you, right, to profess. He doesn't say God has called you to agree. He says God has called you to walk. And what walk means is the day-to-day behavior of your life. The habitual behavior of your everyday life. It's not simply enough to believe that Christ has died on the cross for your sins. But that there is direct implications of the gospel in your life. And here it is. If in fact the gospel is true, then you ought to live your lives in such a way. Notice, he says, well, how do you live your life? He says, live in a life that's worthy. The word there means worthily or suitably. And we've, we've talked about this word. I like this word because it's the same word that is used in the marketplace. It's the word in those, um, you know, we don't really use them. We usually have this digital scale. You go to, you know, Vons or something, you're buying bananas and it's 69 cents a pound or something like that. You put it on this digital scale or this nice scale and all you see is, where it points, right? And you know how much they're going to gouge you for, for bananas, right? But uh, in the old times, they used to have these scales that were kind of had a balancing arm, okay? So if you wanted one kilo of meat, even in when we were back in South Asia, when Chinese <laughs> would buy meat, she would say, I want one kilo. So they would put one kilo of, of the balance. And then on the arm, other arm, they would keep putting this raw meat there, right? Until it balanced out, then we know that the meat was worthy of one kilo. Okay. And what Paul is saying here is your lives, if in fact you have been saved, okay, if in fact you have been changed, if in fact Christ has done this work in your life and has changed you, your life should be a reflection of that. In fact, your life should be an open banner of God's goodness and Christ's goodness, the way you carry yourself, 
the way you speak to others, the way you address sin, the way you respond to offense, that should be worthy of Christ. Man, that's a high calling. Sometimes even um, in the academy where Tim teaches, we're talking about mixed martial artists and a lot of times they... A lot of times you'll see, this is always the case, or you even see in the Grammys when people win, all praise to God, all praise to God. And they always say, all praise to God. They don't live lives that are worthy of the calling. What does it do? When you, each individually, when you do not live in a manner worthy of Christ, you bring him shame. And the context here is quite startling, okay? It's how you deal with problems in the local church. Especially in the San Diego area and this North County area, we have a very consumer mindset of what the local church is, don't we? Uh, you don't like the church. Uh, you don't like little things. You don't like the colors. You don't like the colors of the bathroom. You don't like how the bulletins are done. Boom. How do people vote? They vote with their feet, and they're out, right? And they go to something better suits them. I want a place where there's a jumpy jump for my kids. I want to make sure that there's a jumpy jump. What about the gospel? What about Christ? I want to make sure that there's all these, you know, these outings and everything. But my question is, outings are not bad. But what's... What is it? What is it that really brings us together? Is there the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that first and foremost? Is it, a, is it an activity-driven church? Or is it a Christ-centered church? The calling. Is your walk worthy? Are you answering this call? The call here is the effectual call to salvation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, I'll just read it for you. He says, in that chain of redemption, he says, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Jesus says this about the call to salvation. It is that effectual call when someone responds to the gospel in faith. Uh, excuse me, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him in the last day. Your responsibility, if God has called you, is to live in such a manner. This heavenly and high calling. Okay, so now we have this. Okay? You say, Angelo, I hear this. Okay? I hear what you're saying. I hear that we have this calling upon our lives, and we're supposed to live in a holy manner. We're supposed to live in a manner that is worthy of Christ himself. Okay? You notice it says Christ himself. Not other people. You don't weigh your walk with how someone else walks. I'm doing really well in Christ because I'm better than that guy. Right? It's how do you measure up with the glory of Christ? Now, he here's the question. Well, what does that look like? Right? You always want to know, what does that look like? How do we live that way? Well, the Holy Spirit, by Christ, by the Apostle Paul, tells us. He says what? This is how you live this way. 
He says these phrases in verse 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First, 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 first. We need to hit this, okay? Because this is very hard for us to hear. The very first thing, the very first component that allows us to remain together is that you must take this call to be humble. Humility. Humility. Now, the word means lowliness of mind. What is strange is that in that time, the Greeks and the Romans, remember the New Testament was written in Greek, okay? They had no conception of this. They thought that this was a weakness. So there was no word for humility. In fact, Paul probably coined it. That's what the scholars believe. That he had to create a word. And this word, from context and from how it's used in other places, means, uh, one lexicon puts it this way, it is the quality of voluntary submission and unselfishness, humility, self-effacement. Another lexicon or Greek dictionary says it this way, having a humble opinion of oneself. And what particularly? A deep sense of one's moral littleness, modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. See, in that society, it was absolutely antithetical. Uh, if, you've, if you've seen any of the old movies, uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they wanted to die in battle and they wanted to, that's the way that they would be uh, put in immortality, that they would have... Um, that they would be remembered for their works of renown, correct? And here, such that they didn't even have a word for humility. It's amazing. Humbleness, humility. And it's just like today, when someone goes low and humbles themselves, um, it seems very antithetical to society. You don't go low, but you toot your own horn. That's the way it's supposed to be. Pride, and this, is, this is really insidious because in ourselves, okay, pride can be expressed in so many different ways. It could be expressed in abilities. It could be expressed in accomplishments. It could be expressed in education. It could be expressed in wealth. It could be expressed in cooking ability. I make better chili than you. I am serious. That's how insidious it is, right? It could be, uh, it could be expressed in parenting skills. You know what? My, I really got this down, you know? I just, just a great dad. I know how to do this. These guys don't know how to do this, but, but I got it down. It could be expressed in sports, clothes, material items. It could even be expressed in biblical knowledge. Can you believe that? I know more doctrine. I have more verses than you. It could be expressed in the kind of diet you eat. See, pride 
can come up in any part of us. And what happens is, what does pride do? It causes you to think that you're actually better than someone. Okay? And this is where it comes into play. When there is an offense, not if, okay? Do you understand? When there is an offense, did you hear me? Not if. It's all nice right now. It's only five months into this, right? Amen? We've been to the beach many times, okay? But there will be some problems, brothers and sisters. Are you committed? Are you committed to being diligent to preserving the unity? And what the first point that Paul says, what God says, is you have to work on humility. Because why? Because pride says, I am going to guard everything about me. I'm going to guard my rights. I'm going to guard my privileges. And this is what pride, this is how it shows itself, okay? You can't talk to me like that. You can't talk to me like that. How dare you talk to me like that? What is the implication? Let's back up. Why do you think that person can't talk to you like that? Why? Because you actually think you're something. Right? You actually think you're something. And God says himself, what he is opposed to the what? Proud. But he gives what? Grace to the humble. You see, here's a test. We always say this, and, and oh, this is so sad about us, about us men and women, when we are praying, okay? We pray, when we pray to God, man, we sound so humble, don't we? Oh, God, we are sinners. We have sinned against you, and we, don't, we are unworthy. We are just your servants. We're unworthy, and amen, right? Those are good prayers. But then when you're treated like a servant, what happens? Did you catch that? How do you know? Here's a good test. Here's a good litmus test for you, okay? And humility is such an elusive thing. Once you think you have it, you don't. Right? I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Right? It's such an elusive thing, right? But here's the thing. I think it's a good question. One of my pastors, John Fernandez, told me this before. He says, if you truly are a servant of Christ, a prisoner of Christ, a servant of him, if someone treats you like a servant, how do you react? Here it is. Here's the pride. You, what, what does it say? You can't talk to me that way. Now, I don't, I, I'm not encouraging us to speak nasty to each other. In fact, we're going to talk about gentleness next, okay? I'm not encouraging us to test each other's humility. That's not what the text is saying, okay? Let's see how humble he really is, right? That's not what he's saying. But what, is, what happens is when you are humble, and maybe even if someone calls you out on certain sins, and you don't defend it, and you actually look at it and say, you're right. 
See, this can be in the church. This could be in the family. This could be in the marriage. But there are times, there are times I'm talking and I'm just having the mouth open, right? And Tachi may say, well, Dad, that does not sound biblical. That does not sound like what God desires of you. And I'm thinking in my head, who are you? I am three times older than you. I went to seminary. I know Greek and Hebrew. Who are you? And you know what's happening? Pride. The same old sin that the devil of old, the first sin ever committed, starts to well up because I still have remnant sin, right, in me. And I, and I look at it, and you have this decision, brothers and sisters. Will I go the way of humility or the way of pride? Am I going to take this as a time to grow or a time to shame Christ? And that stings. Hearing it even from when Lele says, Dad, you said... You said, right, you wouldn't do that. You said you wouldn't say that. You said that that was wrong. Whoa. I could easily say, quiet, kid, you, you bother me, right? I could easily say that, but what happens, right? You lose your opportunity to grow. Brothers and sisters, in this church, as we are here together, when we sin against each other, when we confess and repent, those are opportunities of growth to become more Christ-like. And you could either take it or blow it. What humility also does is it removes ammunition. It removes ammunition. If there are two parties who are filled with pride, okay, fighting against each other, lobbing grenades, <laughs> verbal grenades back and forth, Boom, back and forth, back and forth. It never ends. It never ends. Why? Because no one is blameless. Do you understand? A lot of people think, oh, if we get married, oh, all our problems are going to go away. That is so false. It's one sinner living with another sinner. Correct? Married folk, are you there? You don't want to talk, huh? No more amens, right? There's no amens anymore, right? Where's the amens? Right? But where was I? When you're there and you're always insisting on your own rights and your own privileges and your own, uh, and your own uh, um, expectations, right? There will always be infighting. But you know what diffuses it? Is when one of you says, I'm going to trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope it was... Guys, I hope it's you because you have to lead in this, right? Well, when you say, I will trust in Christ, I'm not going to fight anymore. If she says there's something wrong in me, I'm going to absorb it, examine it, look at it, look at Scripture. And I'm going to work with that. Now, what happens is when someone is fighting against you and you no longer have ammunition, Many times, not all the time, 
I'm not going to be naive to say that, but many times, nine times out of ten, that person is going to drop their gun. Why? Because it takes two to tango. Do you understand? It takes two people to fight. If one person says, I'm not fighting, I'm going to love you anyways. What you said about me is probably all right. It's all true. I'm not going to have any excuses, right? And what happens is the argument diminishes. Amen? We've got to live this way. We will sin against each other. Husbands and wives and kids and parents and just across the board, we will. Right? We'll misunderstand each other. Would you look at this text? Remember, this is why Christ bought us. He, brought, he bought us to show how Christ acts in community. How he takes his people and changes them, right? Now, that is humility. We have, only have a few minutes because we're doing a communion, but let's go on to the next portion here, gentleness. Gentleness. More accurately, it should be translated meekness. Meekness. Now, we don't use this term very much in English, Meek. Oh, he's a meek man. You don't ever heard that. You never hear that anymore, right? It means courtesy, a considerateness, a quality of gentle friendliness. Now, when people hear the word meekness, oftentimes they think it's weakness because it sounds like it, right? Meekness is weakness, or meekness means lack of power, lack of courage. And in fact, the biblical definition of meekness is absolutely the opposite. Um, let me, one commentator says this, biblical meekness is power under control. Biblical meekness or gentleness is power under the control of God. A meek person is normally quiet, soothing, and mild-mannered. He is never avenging, self-assertive, vindictive, or self-defensive. There's examples like David, he could have killed Saul many times, right? Remember in the caves of Engedi, he cut off part of his cloak instead of killing him. He said, I wouldn't kill you. Moses, when he was attacked by his own sister about her leadership, his leadership, he was attacked. Moses didn't defend himself. When Jesus, uh, when Peter drew out his sword to defend Jesus, Jesus said, don't you think I can appeal to my father he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus had all power, brothers and sisters, to defend himself. And he chose at this point not to. Not to. There are times when you ought not defend yourself. And God vindicates you. Meekness is not silence. It is not weakness. It is not the lack of anger against sin or the things attacking God's character. But it is self Controlled. Self-controlled. Considerateness. Proverbs says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. This word is used in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, I'll just read it for you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25. It says, With gentleness or meekness, correcting those in opposition. 
if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. In other words, as he shares the gospel and people make fun of you, it is that quality, that element of self-control, knowing that my life is hidden in Christ. I am secure in Christ. And whatever people think about me, whatever the outside world thinks about me, I know that I am right with God. That is courage. That is boldness. That is strength. Then he says, with patience, the word there, with patience. So he says, with humility and gentleness. So the question becomes is, as we interact with one another, are you a person who has a demeanor of being meek? Are you a person who has a demeanor of being gentle? Okay. Now I'm, I'm going to speak from a guy's, from a guy's perspective. Okay. Um, I know that sometimes I could say things, and my kids and my wife always help me with this. I could say things, and I may be right in the argument. Do you understand? In the argument. But in my tone and my body language, I am not gentle and I am not meek and I have failed. So I have won the argument. Do you understand? But I have not won them. I lost them. Dads. I, I'm picking on dads, okay? I'm picking on dads, right? Because when the dad leads, more than likely, God will bring the family. But here, here, I'm going to pick on you because I love you, okay? Here it is. Is, is. This is a hard question. This is a hard question, okay? Because we have to get at the root of gentleness, okay? Dads, do you make it safe for your kids to talk to you? Is it safe? Okay. Here in the church, we know what's required of us. We talk to each other very civilly, very gently, with much humility. If there's a misunderstanding, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get that email correctly. Oh, 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 and there's much love covering it. Praise the Lord, right? But in the context of the home where no one sees except your family, you can't hide from your family. Are you walking in humility and gentleness? That's hard for me to hear because my tone comes out very strong sometimes. Okay, I'm going to push it farther, okay? Here it goes. Here it goes. No more? We have to, okay? A little bit more, Mike, okay? Now here it is, okay? Is it safe, guys, is it safe for your wife to talk to you? Do you make it safe? I feel like going like this. Why? Because why? my pride wants to defend myself and my pride wants to say 
do the blame game. No, but you. Do you understand? You know how that works. You've done something, Angelo. This is not what God has required of you. Instead of saying, thank you, Jeanette. I love you, Jeanette. Thank you for bringing that to me. Repenting, I repent and I confess. You want to know what my first initial desire or reaction, unless I check it, every single time. I'm ashamed. Every single time. Because of the pride in me. Is no, but you did this. Just like Adam, right? God, it's the woman you gave me. Not taking ownership of his sin. It's the woman. Do you make it safe? Oh, we would be a a people most remarkable if we make it safe for everyone to talk with gentleness and humility towards one another. Amen? I never got to verses 4 to 6, so let me end here. <laughs> Let's end in, uh, I want to go to, where do I want to go? I want to go to First Peter. Look at First Peter and chapter 2. Now, Christ is more than an example, okay? He is our payment for sin. But in this text, First Peter chapter 2, he's going to show us how Christ was his humility and his meekness, okay? His humility and meekness. And this is where we are to garner motivation and strength and power. 1 Peter chapter 2.21. Remember, Christ is blameless. He has not sinned. He, he doesn't have to say no but you, okay? You understand? Look at verse 21. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered you, leaving, here it is, an example for you to follow in his steps. Notice the meekness of your Christ. The gentleness of your Christ. He could have slain them all with just one word. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Look at while being reviled, he did not what? What does it say? He did not what? Revile in return. While suffering, he what? Uttered no threats, but kept. What did he do? Entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep but now having returned to the shepherd guardian of your souls notice jesus this is what jesus did he did not say i need to assert my rights he could have he did not say i need to assert my status he could have he had no sin against him any sin done to him was unwarranted he was blameless. And what, is it, what does it say? He didn't revile in return. He uttered no threats, but kept. What was the keeping factor? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges 
righteously. Now, brothers, sisters, I'm not going to be so naive as to think that you haven't been hurt in certain churches. This absolutely is the case. But what God is saying here, this God is saying here, is that even in those times of suffering, we know we can trust in a holy God. And we know we can bow to a holy God and trust in him and know that he is for your own good. Later on, Paul is going to talk about in the passage of Ephesians, he's going to talk about what determines our unity, and that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says you have one faith and one baptism, a system of doctrine that we all hold and that we all confess, and that's the determiner of, what, of those whom we should be united with. Right? But I just say all these things, brothers and sisters, that you would contend, contend for solidarity. Fight for it. Be diligent. Be eager. Be zealous. And it doesn't come without these qualities. Ask God, help me. Help me to listen. Oh, guys, don't listen. Did you know that? Wow, too many, fa- too many guy things I'm talking about. Are you, you feeling okay, Jason? Are you hot behind the ears? Love you, brother. But well, just here's the thing, okay? We need to listen. Sometimes my wife says, I don't want a sermon. I just want you to listen. Because I always got a sermon ready with three points. She goes, I don't want that. I want you to listen. Right? You need to hear me. But I got to. Let me tell you, we need to grow in this together. Amen? Amen? Father, help us to grow. Help us to fight for unity. Help us to desire unity. God, we know that we cannot do this without you. We've sinned against you. We, we defend ourselves. We're not humble. We're not gentle. And yet you've called us to this. We know that the only way we could do this is to be motivated by you, motivated by the Son who reviled not who uttered no threats. We pray, Father, that uh, our lives would be ones who walk worthy of you by walking humbly and gently. Make me a gentle man. Make me a humble man. Make all of us humble and gentle men and women, humble and gentle children, humble and gentle teenagers, young adults. Make us like that, God. That's how your son is. Lord, you have died on the cross. Your, your son has died on the cross for our sins, but also to bring us together in communion. We celebrate that communion in this Last Supper this morning. Help us to sing, help us to celebrate, and help us to love one another. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.